At the commencement of consumerism in the 1920s, black people took advantage. Disenfranchised at every vantage, they still managed to be resilient. Take the brilliance of Greenwood, for example. A black entrepreneur by the name of O.W. Gurley saw it worthy to purchase 40 acres of land and plan to sell it only to blacks. He has simulated something since that has never been duplicated, hence... What's our excuse? I refuse to believe what these black pioneers achieved was restricted to their time. The keys to their success was their ability to invest in each other. But now it just seems we have the propensity to outdo each other. In the United States, blacks are the number one consumers, coupled with the fact that we manufacture nothing we consume pretty much makes us the biggest losers. How do we become so vain? Can someone explain how 90% of black hair products are produced by Koreans? Or how Arabs from Yemen can come into the ghetto and sell us mama's fried chicken? It's beyond me. How annually we have the buying power over one trillion, yet there's no dividends to justify our excessive spending. But according to T-Pain, we winning. I'm beginning to see the error in our ways. What's the real cost for a pair of J's? A day's wage or a lifetime learning? You can't earn a living by killing your earnings, turning your assets into liabilities. You really need four TVs in that SUV? Three cell phones and take out every night of the week? Black Wall Street. Black economics at its peak. A peak of what we could achieve if we pooled our resources and redefined the nature of our needs. In Greenwood, the dollar would circulate 60 to 100 times before it left. In my hood, there is no circulation because there's no black businesses left. Consumerism in 2021 is black people's curse. Though in the 1920s, it was the initial system used to prove our worth. We just want to be the ones who buy it first. Spending is trending, depending who's the recipient of the sale. The definite is definite, but we're so consumer-driven, it's hard to tell. All hail to the king and queen of retail. Can't even hear myself think over the laughter when he yells, What are those? What's your goals? To ball out of control with Fendi lenses, E-class benzes, and open toast stilettos? How you think this madness unfolds? Bad credit? You still don't get it. In debt with no debit. The rent's due, but there's a 20% off sale at Jimmy Choo's. I'm so confused. Because we have the arsenal to win, but no discipline, so we're determined to lose. Just look at the news. The Nasdaq said Prada, Gucci, and Fendi was through the roof. Oh, you need more proof? Okay. Why none of the owners of the stores in your community look like you? Something to think about next time you count in your loot. Black people, be careful how you spend. Because the only thing expendable is you.
Spoken Spoken Soul Sessions. You ain't my man. With Poetic Black. Ain't nothing holding me back but me and who's holding you but you. Check this out, man. Spoken Soul Sessions. Oh my God. This is Spoken Soul Sessions with Poetic Black. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Bold stances and lewd advances got us here. You are listening to Spoken Soul Sessions with Poetic Black. We'll start from scratch, exploring new possibilities. Welcome, 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 welcome to another episode of Spoken Soul Sessions. I'm your host, Poetic Black, and today's podcast, we're going to talk about Black consumerism. Yeah, Black consumerism. The name of this poem that I spit... name of the poem I spit in the beginning of the show was consumerism. Give you guys a little bit of history about that poem before we get into what we're going to get into today. But that poem right there is a very significant poem. Actually, I wrote that poem. I actually won a competition, a poetry slam. I won uh, doing that poem. That was one of the poems that uh, won me the grand prize of that poetry slam. And uh, it was a little crazy. Actually, I did do an interview. I did an interview with with the creator of that slam, Mr. Distinguish. Uh, Shout out to Distinguish. You know, we had a dope 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 interview man y'all guys go check that out but uh yeah so i wrote this poem because one of the themes in his poetry slam let me give you guys a little background of what had happened so i get a call from mr distinguish telling me that uh look you won one of my slams in the past and uh i'm doing a, i'm hosting this uh a particular type of poetry slam it's the night of champions So what he had did was he took all of his previous winners from various slams that he did and he put them all together for a grand finale of the artists that came together. So it was a lot of power hitters there. And it was a poetry slam that you had to write for. It was a particular theme. So the theme he had chose was the 1920s. It was a lot of things going on in the 1920s, especially for black people. So he had gave us the instructions to write about the 1920s. So one aspect he wanted us to write about was consumerism. So consumerism in the 1920s. So actually I wrote a few pieces. I wrote a few pieces with this theme And uh, I chose that one 
black consumerism um consumerism to do and it was a it was a, it was definitely a good choice so I, I get a lot of requests for that poem but while doing the research for that poem i really went into depth because i knew about black wall street but not really in depth i didn't really understand the significance of it you know like like in just my general reading you'll read about black wall street but i didn't really go into depth and know and understand the community that these black people had built so this slam was it was a prompt for me to to get into this study and then and then really like wow i was just blown away so i wrote i wrote many different pieces concerning what was going on in those times actually i did write i would like to call it maybe a monologue i'm gonna release it too it's like it's it's, it's a pretty in-depth story about what went on back then and what really started the tulsa riots in 1921 so uh i'm gonna release that i'm gonna do i'm gonna record and i'm gonna release it but getting back to the slam and getting back to the poem actually like me doing a lot of research about what happened in black wall street i learned about this black entrepreneur by the name of ow Gurley, who he was a wealthy black man who had went to Tulsa and he was buying up a lot of property and the property he was buying, he had the sole intent in mind to sell it only to black people. So black people can build franchises and build their, their businesses on the property. And what happened was during this time, because, because of the fact that racism was still there prevalent, you know, black people, the economy of black people is so strong because Really, you couldn't buy from any no white, cus, uh, no white um businesses anyway. The white businesses didn't want you in the establishment, so it kind of forced black people to buy amongst themselves. Like a a, a portion of the poem when I said, uh, the dollar would circulate sixty to a hundred times, meaning that dollar would bounce around in that community. It'll go to the barber shop. It'll go to the laundromat, it'll go to the movie theater, it will go, that same dollar, it'll bounce around in that community, it'll go to the shoemaker, it'll go to the uh, the seamstress or whatever. So it'll go to all those businesses circulating around those businesses before it left that community, you know? So the power in the economy of the black dollar was so strong is that black people, we had a strong knit community where we bought from each other and we manufactured. Because now, when you look at it, black people in 2021, we're the biggest consumers. We're the biggest consumers. And we get nothing. We get nothing but what we purchase. You know, so we have to really look at in order to make change for us to make to make change that we can see. We have to really look at the black dollar and know how to support black, support who supports you. And a lot of times you you look in our communities, everything in our community is pretty much owned by someone else. All of the corner store bodegas are either owned by Arabs, Dominicans or whatever, or Puerto Ricans, you know, no shade, but this is just the facts. 
the Asian community. You have a Chinese store within every two block radius in the hood. Liquor stores owned by the Koreans or Chinese. The corner stores, the bodegas, Dominicans or Arabs. You know, everybody own the community but you. So when a block party come up in your community, you go to these same establishments and ask for something, a donation. You get nothing. So they take your your hard-earned money in your community that you spend. They take your hard-earned money, take it outside of your community, take it to their community, build their community. And then you're sitting there wondering why your community is lacking everything. There's potholes in the ground. There's dirt and filth around in your neighborhood. You know, and you just give your power away. The power of the black man today is his dollar. the black dollar and it's time that we support our own so we're the biggest consumers and the smallest producers and just basic mathematics when you when you consume and you don't produce anything you're going to be at the at the last end of the stick you're going to get the you're going to get the worst end of the stick if you're the biggest consumer, but you don't produce nothing, you don't produce nothing. You support everyone that doesn't support you. So this poem was a very powerful poem. It was a very powerful poem, and it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot. And we, we, we really need to look into our community and, and see who supports us. Who supports us? And we have to have that attitude. You know, the problem with black people is that we're, I wouldn't call it a problem. It's just a, it's just a, I would say it's a, it's a trait that we have that sometimes hurt us, that we're, we're open hearted and we don't hold, we don't hold any grudges. You know, we don't hold any grudges. I believe Paul Mooney was the one, rest in peace, Paul Mooney, who said that black people are like a like a, a dog, like an old dog. You kick him in his ass, but he come right back. A good old obedient dog. You know, and we need to start looking and waking up and understand our power. Understand that. It's our, it's the power of our dollar that's going to affect change in our community. We need to be respected and we don't respect our dollar. So the world look at us like we're crazy. I seen one episode of Hidden Colors. I seen an episode of Hidden Colors. I forgot which one it was, but in the episode, it was some black entrepreneurs who was going around and they were selling black hair products. And they went to the Korean, the Korean store that sold a lot of the hair and everything. And they came to them. They said, look, you get this hair right here. We can get the same hair to you at a 15 percent, you know, 15 percent cheaper than what you're getting it now. So the guy said, "Nah, we don't want it. And he was like, well, why? Why wouldn't you want this product if it's the same product that you're buying? But we're giving it to you 15 percent cheaper. He was like, you black people don't understand that we only buy from our own kind. And I was like, I was blown away. I was like, wow. 
you know, is is the same method that if you look in the Jewish community that they use. And this is no shade, you know, we can look at these examples and, and gain some form of gain some form of 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 know how from these people and the way they do things. And we can apply it to ourselves because everyone, everyone is benefiting but us. Everyone is benefiting but us. You know, so we really need to look. We need to look at what we're doing with our dollar to make it make sense. Make it make sense. Black consumerism. We as a people, we need to start looking at the world, how the world look at us. I give you a prime example. In the black community, we see a lot of police brutality. We see the police police in our communities and we see a lot of, you know, they rough house the brothers, stop and frisk, harassment. And we like, wow, why do you want to come in our community and do that? But when you look at your dollar, how you can affect change with your dollar, look at all of the companies that support the police. Companies like Target, McDonald's, companies that we that we utilize their products, we buy their products every single day. Our power that we give away, we are buying their products and they're supporting an organization, fraternity, whatever you want to call them. They're supporting them. So we're supporting this company that's supporting the people that's causing havoc in our community. So we stop supporting these 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 companies. We stop supporting these companies that give millions and millions of dollars to the police every year, every year for them to keep doing exactly what they're doing to us. So we're not going to give you our dollars for you to give it to the police to strengthen their oppressive state over us. Nah. That's how we got to look at our dollar, the power of our dollar. Stop supporting these these different companies who support the police who come into your community and wreak havoc. You call the police for help, they come, your loved ones get killed. Loved ones get killed. It's crazy. So we need to really look at, we, we, we need to really look at how we spend our dollar, the things we do to spend our, the things we spend our dollar on may be the very thing that causes our demise. It's deep. It's deep. So black consumerism. So give you a little history of what happened in 1921, during during the Tulsa riots, during the Tulsa riots, where you had well the well the story goes, the story goes, it was a man by the name of Dick Rowland, I believe his name was Dick Rowland, and 
he was he was a he was a shoe shinesman the way i read the story and he was going to this this building i believe it was the drexler building on main street and what happened was he was in the elevator with a white woman and what they say happened was that the elevator kind of jerked the elevator jerked and when it jerked the white woman she she like gasped like ah like she made a certain type of scream or whatever from the elevator so when she made that noise people looked up and they seen him so when they seen him they was like they see the white woman scream and, and then they, they see a black a black kid and he, he runs so they catch him and they arrest him and the clan is there they're trying to lynch him or whatever the case may be and it all this is all over a misunderstanding he didn't do nothing to this woman so they come and they try to get him so what happened was the people of greenwood had came in protest and support of 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 dick Rowland. they came to him and it was like they, they came to the jailhouse to give support and they came armed they came armed. So now in that time frame, you got to realize what was going on in that time. In that time, you know, the white community didn't like the fact that you had this town of Greenwood that was so prosperous. They didn't like it. They didn't like it. Now, if you give, if you, I try to give you an idea of what Greenwood was like. This is this is back in 1921. You had a community of black people who had buildings, elevated buildings, inside heating and plumbing, movie theaters, hospitals, you know, schools, libraries, you know, the list goes on. It was a community, a strong knit community. And everybody supported everybody. Everybody supported everybody. Very, a lot of wealthy black individuals was in this community and they didn't like it. They even had an airport in this community. They didn't even like it. So they they wanted a reason to go into Greenwood. And this was they this was their prime, their prime opportune time to go into Greenwood and destroy it. So how they say the story went during the little riot or rally where they all came, all the you had the white clansmen in front of the, the jailhouse, and then you had the people of the town of Greenwood went in front of the, the jailhouse. So you had the black men who were armed and one of the white Klansmen had told one of the black men to hand over his pistol and he refused. And when he refused, they say that it was a tussle that went on, the gun went off by mistake. And then that gunshot, it like, it was a domino effect. It was a domino effect. So, these people, they followed these black people back to Greenwood, pulling people out of their homes, pulling people out of their homes, burning people, people their home, burning their homes, killing them, destroy schools, destroy hospitals. I believe the number was like 30,000, 30, 40,000 people left homeless. No reparations. No reparations, you know? So the idea that, that that's being perpetuated today is that black people are lazy. 
black people don't want to do anything for themselves. Black people are are looking to come up off the government. False. Look at our history. I challenge anyone to read the history of Greenwood in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and look at our greatness. A people who were marginalized, a people who were persecuted. Through all that, come to build one of the, the most thriving communities that has ever been. That has ever been. Our greatness is intact. Our greatness is written, is written in stone. But we have to understand that. We have to understand and know that. And we have to understand and know our power. We have to play the game the way the game is played. The way the game is played. And you cannot support someone who does not support you. One hand washes the other. If the right hand was all by itself and was like, I don't, I don't need the left hand. The right hand and the left hand would be dirty. One hand washes the other. What's happening is we're doing all the washing and everyone is clean but us. Everyone is clean but us. So that was the story or the the background of what went down in Greenwood. What went down in Greenwood, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah, man. So, black consumerism. We as a people, we really need, we really need to look at the way we spend. One part of the poem I said, do you really need four TVs in that SUV? We're so extravagant. So extravagant. The problem is we want to look like we have wealth, but have no wealth. Look like we got money, but we ain't got nothing. But we can have something. Like, look at today right now. There's a, a prime opportune time for black people to get into the cryptocurrency. Get into it. Understand it. I wish. <laughs> like, I heard about Bitcoin before it blew up. I heard about it. But I was skeptical. I was like, I'm not putting my money in that. Look at that. We have to start using our money to, to make more money and buy things that's going to appreciate itself in value. We're so quick to buy things that depreciates itself in value. We want to go get these luxury cars. As soon as you drive them off the lot, they, de they depreciate. As soon as you drive them off the lot, they're worth less than what you bought, what you paid for. We want to buy everything that depreciate in value. We want to buy all these clothes. Oh, I'm going to buy a $20,000 shirt, T-shirt. I'm going to buy a $5,000 pair of 
tennis shoes or sneakers. Like, come on, man. You know, this is the time for black people to start understanding this cryptocurrency was going on because it's about to be the new wave. It's about to be the new wave. Now, I'm not giving financial advice or anything, but it's about to be the new wave. And this is something that we need to really look into and study it so we can understand what's going on because it's the way of the world. The world is changing right around us. And if we don't change with it, if we don't make the attempt to understand it, then we're going to get lost. We're going to get lost. This is the time now. This is the time now. Black consumerism. We need to look and really think about how we spend our money. Because our money is our only power. That's the only thing they respect about us is our money. They'll take our dollars. They'll take our dollars. Kill our sons. But they'll take our dollars. We need to wake up. We need to wake up and understand what's going on out here, man. You know, the world is changing right before our eyes. And our only power that we have that we can leverage against these individuals is their love of money. It's their love of money. Disrespect you. Go into their restaurants, disrespect you. And you still go every day. Not many times I've seen Chinese people, not Chinese people, but Chinese restaurants. How many times I you go into a Chinese restaurant and they're so disrespectful, so disrespectful, talk to you any kind of way, but you give them your dollars. You support them. You support them. Your child can't get into Harvard, but their children are going to Harvard off of your dollar. Off your four wings and french fries. <laughs> Off your pork fried rice and whatever. <laughs> Kill you with the food that they, they serve you. Take your dollars. I mean you get the I mean you get you get the shitty end of the stick. It it it, it it's crazy. Give you heart disease, you know, give you cirrhosis of the liver, all the liquor stores they have. And what do you get? You give me your money. The only thing you have. We need to wake up. We need to make our communities black again. It's all black people here. We need to stop supporting these communities that don't support us. That don't even care to support us. Don't even care. They make money off us. 365 days of the year every day holidays included they making money don't give nothing back don't give nothing back we got to really start looking at this i was having a conversation with a brother and we were talking about the community, our current, the current state of the black community, the hood, the ghetto, whatever you want to call it. And pretty much I was telling him, I was like, the way we're going to see change is we got to see, we got to start using our dollar correctly. You know, he's like, what do you mean by that? 
ain't about money. Everybody getting a bag. Everybody getting a bag. I'm like, yeah, everybody's out here chasing a bag. But once you get the bag, you don't know what to do with it. You don't know what to do with the bag. You know, it's like this. And it and maybe it's 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 a maybe it's a a direct a direct result or direct I don't know what from from slavery the the mentality that we have because if you really really look at it. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to say something real quick. So I, I want y'all to really, really, really dig what I'm about to say. I was I was listening to, I was listening to an a album. I forget who it was, what artists I was listening to. But it was deep, though. I believe it could have been J. Cole. I don't know. It was it was an album. It was a rap album I was listening to. And it was a it was an excerpt and like a little skit in the in the album. And there was an excerpt from, I believe, Nipsey. Rest in peace, Nipsey Hustle. It was an excerpt from Nipsey. And he was like, he's like, yo, man. He said, when we going out and we and we hunting, we and we, we praying on somebody, man. He said, you, you, you looking for someone that looked just like you. You know what I'm saying? He, he, it was deep. He said, the white boy over there, nah, not him. You know what I'm saying? This this dude over here, nah, nah, not him. Square over there, nah, not him. Nah, oh, that that dude right there. The one that wear his pants like I wear my pants. The one that wear his hat the way I wear my hat. The one that walk the way I walk. You're hunting yourself. You're hunting yourself. And when I heard that, I was like, yo, this is profound. It's profound. Because we're trained. We're, we're trained. It seems that we're trained to hate each other and we're so quick to pull a trigger and squeeze a trigger on each other. But the ones who's causing the pain, the mischief, the the the, the agony, the hurt, we look at them and praise. It's crazy. It's crazy. Think about it. From every institu- institution, you you find people, you find people, black people are looking to pull other black people down as opposed to lift, lift themselves up, network with each other. It's always like a competition. Why do we always look at each other as the competition? It's like, it's like we look at, we look at other races or whatever the case may be. And we look at them as like, ah, nah, we can't even compete. But with each other, oh, it's on. It's on. I want to be the only black person within this space. I heard this one lady, she said to me, (laughs) she said, I I was the only black person on my job. I was the only black person for 15 years. I was the only black person in my department. As, As this was like a badge of honor. Like, wow, it reminds me of what Malcolm said about the house nigga and the field nigga. What's the matter, boss? We sick? We sick, boss? We we get accolades from being around them. But when we around each other, only thing we hold is contempt for each other. 
Oh, I can do that better than him. Oh, he can't do it like this. Competition, competition with each other. You're hunting yourself. It goes back to that, that excerpt, profound. You're out there hunting yourself, every institution. When you come in, you're looking like certain people, when you go into institutions, when you go into institutions, you see how different races react in a closed setting. In a closed setting. I'll use DFY, for example, the division of youth. When you go into when you go into the division of youth, this is an institution. So when you go into the division of youth and you see the way everybody goes in, they click up. Everybody clicks up. You have the Spanish people. They come in. You watch them. They click up. Hey, what's good? You know what I'm saying? You from this neighborhood or whatever. Uh, you'll, find, you'll find Asians. They'll click up. Even Caribbeans, they, they click up. But the African-American, and I always say this, the African-American is in a unique position a very unique uh, position because we are very unique. Because when you look at Africans, their mindset is different than African-Americans. You look at Caribbeans, Caribbeans, Jamaicans or, or Trinidadians or Haitians or whatever, their mentality is very different than African-Americans. And a lot of the times, they look at African-Americans, oh, you guys are lazy. You squander opportunities. Look at all these opportunities. And they don't understand the trials that African-Americans went through in this country for their benefit. And I'm going to call it like I see it. Who a lot of African-Americans, like the, the civil rights, when you look at the civil rights movement, everybody benefit from that movement but black people. You know, no shade. The LGBT community benefits from the Civil Rights Acts. You know, all these different communities, the Asian community, all of these communities utilize the programs that was that stemmed from the Civil Rights Act and they benefit from it. And they look at African-Americans with disdain like, oh, we just was over here. We were just over here doing nothing, being lazy. And that's not the case. They don't understand the persecution. They don't understand the deliberate, the deliberate. And I use that word deliberate because this wasn't something that was just, oh, coincidental. The redlining, that was deliberate. What they did to, to, in Tulsa, Oklahoma was deliberate. They dropped bombs from, from airplanes on this town. This is in U.S. history. I believe it was Wendell Pierce who was on the Bill Maher show, and he exposed that. He was like, 9-11 wasn't the first time they used airplanes as a terror attack. The first time was in 1921 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This was the first time they used airplanes as a terrorist attack against who? Black people in the town of Greenwood. They bombed this entire town. No reparations then built freeways through the town so it could never rebuild. It could never come back to what it was. 
This was deliberate. So a lot of these people that come over here, they don't really understand the history that we have in this country of black people, black Americans fighting, black Americans being upright citizens, thinking that, oh, oh only thing is over here is just thugs. They just want to be gangsters with their pants hanging off their ass. And that's not the case. It was a it was a lot of it was the it was the black African-Americans that was over here suffering while a lot of these different different uh different people come over to America and they benefit from the Civil Rights Act, what black people were, were dogs were sick on them, water hoses. You know, they got they got pictures of black people and video of black people going into restaurants and getting hot coffee poured over their head. Beat. So I don't want to hear, oh, you guys are lazy. You don't want to do nothing. No, that's not that's not the case. As it has been a deliberate effort to keep the black man down in this country. Deliberate. And through it all, we still rise. Through it all, we still stay resilient. We're, we're powerful people. It's a power, we're powerful people, but we just got to switch gears a little bit. And we got to start thinking about our dollar, thinking about our power, that what they want from us. They don't want nothing else. They don't want to be your friend. They don't want to be your companion. They want the dollar. Everybody is for self. So we got to start having that same attitude. We have to start supporting the, 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 the businesses in our community that supports us. It don't have to be a black owned business. Preferably we want a black owned business in black communities. But if, if you, if you are in the community and you're not, and you're not a black owner, then you need to give back. You need to give back. Because you're, you're, you're eating off our dollars every single day. You need to give back. So if you, when these, these, these other people come in your communities, yeah, you, you want to come in, all right. But just let it be known that if you come in this community, you got to pay tithes. You got to pay dues. You just can't be in this community eating every day, eating off our, our hard labor, our, eating, eating up our dollar and not giving anything back. You're supposed to get something for your currency. If I give you a piece of currency, I'm supposed to get something for what I'm giving you. It's a transaction. And we have to start looking like that. we got to start looking at our dollar like that. It's a transaction. When I give you my money, no matter how much it is, I want something for my money. I want something. Every dollar that we spend is taxed. The government gets something, whether you whether you evade taxes or not, whether you pay taxes on the money that you get from your businesses or whatever, you're going to pay taxes regardless. Every item you buy is taxed. So what are you getting? You're supposed to get something for your money. So if you have someone in your community and you're giving them your dollars, you should be able to get something other than the heart disease that they're giving you. You should be getting something other than the cirrhosis of the liver. The mental anguish, the constant disrespect. You can you can respect my community enough to come and eat off of it, but you can't respect me enough as an individual, a human being and treat me with dignity and respect. 
And it all starts with the dollar. That's how we affect change. It's not about, oh, we're going to go outside and riot and just burn shit up. No, no. We have to take a more subtle approach, a more effective approach. And that's the dollar. That's what they want from you. So we really have to look. We really have to look and understand what our dollar is. You know, understand what what the power of black consumerism is. What's our power? You know? It's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to get in our communities and affect change. And we have to do it for our babies. We have to do it for our children. We have to show them that we can come together, that we love, we love each other enough to work together. Everyone else is doing it. It's not like we're, we're, we're doing something foreign. This, we're doing something that's proven to work. Why is it that we want to hate each other so much? Why is it that every time one of us get up, somebody got to try to pull us down? No matter what you're doing, you can do something positive. Oh, he don't know what he's doing. That nigga don't know what he's doing. No, we got to start taking the approach of each one teach one. Old African proverbs, it take a village to raise a child. We need to go back to that. Understand that the love that we have with each other is what we need. And we can take our dollar and make it work for us. Make it work for us. Stop seeing, stop seeing the best in everyone else, but in yourself, you see the worst. You don't want to deal with black-owned businesses. Oh, I don't want to deal with black-owned businesses. And black people, we need to be professional. We need to be professional. Like if you have a black-owned business, be prompt. You, if you got a mail order business, make sure your stuff is going out on a timely fashion. You know, give great customer service. You know, on both sides of the spectrum, we got to stop looking at our own as though, oh, they have to buy from us. And then we got to stop looking at, oh, the consumer like, oh, because it's black owned is nothing. Like, come on. Like, that's why I like FUBU. When FUBU came out and I understood what FUBU, what it, what it stood for, for us, by us, that was a proud moment for me. Now, it's so it's so crazy that FUBU in the hood, like if you go out and you wear, and you wear some FUBU right now, and you, oh, yeah, you got FUBU on. Uh. Same thing with Carl Kanai, Black Man King. Black Man came designed a pair of jeans that fit the cultural identity of the at the time. It was the hip hop culture. We we liked back then, we liked baggy jeans. We liked the baggy jeans. So he made a pair of jeans that was just naturally baggy and it was fire, black man. And what happened? Oh, they found out a black man made it. Oh, that that them joints is whack. Why? Why was it whack? Why did it become rejects? Why did FUBU become trash or whatever the case may be? Because why is black owned? You know what I'm saying? Like I seen one, I seen one interview 
with uh with Jim Jones, and he was talking about he was talking about the Feasels and all that. Like he was talking about Rockefeller and all that was whack, and you know why I'm gonna buy that when I'm gonna go buy the real shit. Like, come on, man. Why you gonna buy that? It's because it's black owned. That's why. How 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 do we create a culture? The hip hop culture is something that we created. Like we created the jazz culture, like we created the blues culture, like uh, we create the pop culture, you know, rock culture, all of it. But we don't benefit. We don't benefit. How do we create genres of music and don't benefit? So the hip hop, like when hip hop first came out, we know what they said about hip hop. Oh, it's a fad. It is, it's a phase. It, that, it, that shit going to die out. They tried to ban it. They tried to do all types of things to just destroy and obliterate hip hop. And what happened? <laughs> Stronger than ever. Stronger than ever. But who benefits from it? So they took something that we created, something that we used to educate each other. You know, back then when we had like hip hop was, was used to educate. <clears throat> and you had people who had beef on wax, you know, little co competitions and all that. But it wasn't no bloody beef. It wasn't where it's, where, where it's got to now. Why? They wanted us to start rapping about bitches and hoes and, and drinking liquor. You know, no, 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 no shade to none of these artists. I understand. You no, know, I understand how how things manifest. I know you, you you trying to get your family out the hood. You trying to get your family in a better station in life. And who can fault you for that? I can't fault you for that. But the ways they make available to us to do that is always at a cost. It's like it's like cutting our cutting our face to spite our nose or whatever. You know, you you just ain't gonna get it clear and free. You see what happens to all the greats. You see, they find some kind of way, some form or fashion. You know, they let you get big as you want to be. And they find a way to tear you right down. Tear you down. Tear you down. And we assist in it. We have to stop. We have to stop. We have to start looking at our own. Look at our own house. Look in our own house and make decisions therein. Don't don't we, we're worrying about everybody else. What what the world view of us and we just hop on the bandwagon. We just hop on the bandwagon. You know, give you prime examples. You don't see them out here trying to boycott Elvis's music. You don't see them trying to boycott Elvis music, but they oh let's let's boycott R. Kelly. Let's get R. Kelly off the airwaves. He's a detriment for our children. Yeah, but but you ain't trying to boycott Elvis. You know? How how old was Priscilla Presley when he was when, when he married her? <clears throat> when he first met her. How old? Go into that history. Oh, what about Jerry Lee Lewis? These 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 great icons. Look into their past and, and and boycott their music. You know, we got to be so, they were so quick to tear down our own. So quick to tear down our own. Now, this is in no way, form or fashion, trying to condone the actions or behaviors of R. Kelly or whatever the case may be. You know what I mean? But I understand that this industry 
is not always what it seems. It can make you believe anything they want you to believe. Anything they want you to believe, they can make you believe it. We got to start waking up. We got to start waking up, understand the power of our dollar. Understand the power that we have. Here it is. We done, we done created a culture, the hip hop culture, and they benefit from it. Tommy Hilfiger has a more, a more standing, a greater standing than FUBU. For us, by us. And I know that FUBU is not owned by black people no more. I understand that. But when it was, you know, Ralph Lauren, all these white companies that we, we put so much emphasis in. But we, we come out with something. We come out with something. And, and it's looked at by us as being inferior. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. I really don't. So we got to give value to ourselves. We got to put value in ourselves. Know our own greatness. Acknowledge the greatness in ourselves before anyone can acknowledge our greatness. The most emulated, the least venerated, that's black people. The most emulated, the least venerated. Everybody want to emulate black. Black culture, black thought is beautiful. It's beautiful when they can capitalize off of it. But nobody want to be around black. Nobody want to be associated with black. You want to take you want to take our culture and tell us that you invented it. You know what Paul Mooney said? He was like, oh, what's this nappy hair you got? Cornrows, what's that? What's that? Bo Derek, she rocked cornrows. Oh, it's so divine. Oh, it's so unique. They praise it. They want to be you, but you can't see that. And you so busy not wanting to be you. They want to be you to make you so much so that you don't want to be you. You want to look like them. We need to wake up. This is no shade to no one. No shade to no one. But it's just about it's just about having a certain type of you don't have to hate someone to love yourself. And I don't hate anyone. I don't hate anyone. I'm just calling like I see it. Don't hate anyone. But I love me, though, as I should. And you should love you. As you should, you shouldn't make, you shouldn't be made to feel like you're doing something wrong when you support your own. You don't make the Asians feel bad or the, or, or the Jewish community feel bad when they support their own. Go in the Jewish community and apply for a job. See what happens. Go in one of them communities, those tight knit communities and say, oh, I want to apply for a job at this, at this, at this restaurant or whatever the case may be. No. And rightfully so. They have the right to do that. And you do too. You have the right to do that. And you need to understand that. You need to understand that you just can't give your power away and expect to be respected. People respect that power. And it's time for us, 
black people to respect our power. I want to thank y'all for tuning in with me at Spoken Soul Sessions. Like I said, if any of you guys want to get on the show, please sing your work, sing your resume, your press kit to Spoken Soul Sessions at gmail.com. And we'll definitely set up something to get you on the show. You want to get your words out there. You want to speak your soul. So I want to tell everybody to always, they say, they say there's no power more powerful than the power of the spoken word. So I implore you to speak your power and speak your soul.